Good morning. We're just going to keep on going here this morning, opening God's Word. Um, I'm going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 13. If you need a Bible, uh, there will be someone at the rear. If you just hold up your hands, uh, someone will bring you a Bible. And uh, we're continuing our Kingdom Love series where we are... uh, where we are uh, looking at the parables of the kingdom, all those parables in the New Testament where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, and we're looking to have him lead us in what it looks like to bring the kingdom to those around us. Um, One beautiful picture of the kingdom that happened last weekend, and uh, I was going to mention it earlier, but Dennis, maybe you can put that up. Uh, We had family camp last weekend. And uh, we had 16 families, uh, 82 people in all, and uh, the families got together and were basically learning how to read the Word at the dinner table and worship God at the dinner table and what that could look like. Very practical teaching, but mostly we just had fun, as you can see. We've got some wonderful families that are just seeking after God and how God wants to lead them. Uh, and their family on mission. So uh, I just want to shout out to uh, Brandon Snow and and the team. Uh, Brandon, I think, was in the first service. And the team who pulled that together uh, was absolutely fantastic. And uh, thanks also to the expert, uh, or to the experienced, I should say, parents who came and uh, uh, leaned into those families. Uh, But we've been looking at uh, this kingdom, and we've learned a lot so far about who God is and what he's doing on the earth. Uh, We have uh, seen God revealing the secrets of his kingdom to us. The parable of the soils showed us how God, uh, the word of God, affects people and how they respond to the word of God. And we learned that soils can change, and Bible characters uh, who were hard soil became great soil by the end of their lives. So we've learned this, uh, this great and wonderful God that we sang to this morning. The creator of the cosmos is deeply interested in reaching every single person and that every single person would meet his amazing son, Jesus. And we've learned that mercy triumphs over judgment, that God has uh, brought his mercy and, and we've, we've uh, wants all wants all to come to him, and that it's never too late. And we've seen stories and how God is moving in our local area, but also around the world. And we're doing this uh, as a way of understanding God and his kingdom and how he has designed us to operate in his kingdom. Uh, We're doing that out of a place of identity. We've been looking at how difficult it can be to reach out to a neighbor or a coworker or a family member and start talking about the kingdom of God. You know, we are, uh, we are, we are very aware that the, the prophet is not welcome in his hometown, that some of these things are really challenging. But as we reach out, it is because of who we are becoming. This is not a little project list that we go around and uh, knock on doors and wear, wear badges and invite people. No, this is who we are becoming. As God has grabbed hold of us and brought us into his kingdom, we've seen 
his love, his goodness, all the things we sing about every Sunday. And we want other people to know what it's like to be a child of light in the kingdom of light. So we come out of identity. And the last thing I want to mention that we're really learning is the power of prayer. That the scriptures consistently point towards prayer as the vehicle by which God responds and brings his kingdom. He taught us to pray down his kingdom, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So as we've been praying, we've been, we found this web, uh, website service called blesseveryhome.com. And on blesseveryhome.com, you can sign up to be a prayer light for Christ in your own neighborhood. And so I encourage you, if you haven't done it yet, go on blesseveryhome.com today. Enter in your name and your address. Uh, that The website will show you the 40 neighbors who live closest to you. And you can adopt those neighbors for prayer. Once you get going, if you want to increase that circle to 75 or 80 neighbors, you can do that as well. Put in your name and address, your email address. You'll get an email on the days you specify, Monday to Friday, whatever, whatever you prefer. And you'll get served up an email with five of your neighbors with their names and address just out of the census database and you just pray for them. And maybe you're new in your area and you haven't met them all yet. You can uh, look out for them on the street, get to know their names. You can share with them. You can maybe meet a need. Uh, But mostly you're praying and you're asking God to come. We're praying for a little over 800 families right now as a church. And uh, I think we can get up certainly over a 1,000. I want to encourage you in that. And imagine how many families on that list have never been prayed for. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father, no one comes to me, I, I should say, until the Father draws them to me. How does that happen? It happens by prayer. Where we petition the Father to draw people to Jesus. And every day when you get that email, you'll get a scripture to pray over your neighbors and over your own home. So I just encourage you uh, to uh, walk in that way of prayer and be intentional and let's pray for our neighbors and let's invite God to come and transform our neighborhoods with his word, with his presence. So Father, as we look into your word now this morning, uh, thank you for what you've taught us so far. And Lord, I ask now that you speak again freshly in the power of the Spirit uh, through this parable this morning. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for educating us on your kingdom and how it works. We love you and we ask you to have your way now. In Jesus' name, amen. So this parable this morning is called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. It can also be called the wheat and the tares, depending on your translation. Uh, I'm just going to dive in in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go out and pull them up? 
No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The very words of God. So Jesus is teaching now explicitly that there are two kingdoms. There's the, the one that he has, and there's the one uh, that the enemy has. But surprisingly, he doesn't instruct his people to go out and uproot the other kingdom. He tells them what? To let them both grow. Let them both grow. Why is that? Not to pull out some good wheat with the weeds. And he says that it's going to get sorted out later. And so he tells them, just let it happen and we'll sort it out later. Now this, uh, this wheat and this weed is a, very interesting, uh, is a very interesting story. So on the right is a, a budding, kernel, a budding uh, head of wheat. Uh, you see the little kernels there, still green. And you see another plant, which is, uh, it turns out, the plant that was sown by the enemy. Uh, we would call it darnel, or uh, some call it bastard wheat. Uh, the technical term is lolium tumulentum. It's a, it's a uh, surprisingly similar thing to real wheat. And at this early stage, if you're not really alert, they look kind of similar. They can look very similar all through the process. An interesting thing is that when wheat matures and comes close to the harvest, in this next picture, it does something that's kind of symbolic. It bows before its creator. But the darnel stays standing straight up. You see one on the top left there. It stays standing straight up. So that's another way you can tell these two apart. But again, we can't fully be sure. And especially since uh, in the parable of the soils, we learned that soil can change over a lifetime. People can change. Um, in this case, uh, the wheat is getting ready for harvest. And then let's look at the actual grain. On the left is the wheat, big grains that are uh, plump, Look over on the right side, they're stunted, they're small. They look a similar color, but if you break the one on the right open, it will be black. And if you eat it, it will cause you to be nauseous, uh, to be dizzy, and you may even fall down. You may even trip and fall under the influence of this, uh, of this false wheat. So uh, this is the picture that Jesus is giving us, and it's pretty consistent with his other agricultural pictures of good fruit and bad fruit and things that get in the way of the harvest. But this is now the picture of uh, the, the people of God and the people who belong to the enemy. So Jesus uh, comes back inside. By the way, he then, in verses uh, 31 to 35, he gives two more parables about uh, the mustard seed and the yeast. We're going to cover those next week. You might wonder, why are they inserted there? And uh, Jesus is talking about the evil is in invading the good in the current parable we're going to talk about today. But in the other one, he's talking about the good also invades the evil. So 
So we're going we're to look at that next week. But let's go to verse 36 and understand the interpretation. So we read that, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear the very words of God. And so now, in the interpretation of the parable, Jesus becomes more specific about the fact that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of the evil one, the kingdom of the devil. And he lays out, again, this idea of delayed judgment until the end, until such time as the angels come to the judgment time and those that are with the enemy will be sent to eternal punishment and those who are with the kingdom of God, with the Father, will be shining uh, like the sun in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is now opening up to us the realities of the kingdom as it operates on the earth today. And it brings, I mean, there's a number of things we could talk about here. We could talk about our attitude towards those that are not in the kingdom. We can talk about not judging. We can talk about uh, eternal conscious punishment for those who are apart from God and eternal bliss for those who are in the kingdom. Uh, All of that should really rev us up to, to want to know, well, how do we operate now as children of the light in this reality, in this in this revelation of the kingdom this way. And I'm going to tackle three things this morning that I think are kind of at the top of the list of what Jesus is trying to show us here. First of all, how do we navigate uh, in, the, in the midst of an evil world around us? What, what is God calling us to? What does the uh, parable teach us about living now? Living Uh, in the kingdom now. Secondly, I'm going to look at the implications of delayed judgment. What does it mean that God has delayed judgment? And then finally, I'm going to talk about how do we uh, engage in obvious warfare that's going on between these two kingdoms? How do we, as human beings, participate uh, in that as, as sons and daughters of the Most High? So let's look at the first one. How do we navigate in the midst of an evil world? And uh, God is clearly allowing this to go on. He is allowing the evil around us. It's a great answer to the question, uh, why does God allow evil in the first place? He's allowing this for a number of reasons, one of which is that each of us has freedom 
to walk in the ways of God or to walk in the ways of the enemy. He's also uh, reminding us that uh, the kingdom is opposed. It's opposed. So if you're beginning to bring the kingdom to your neighbors, uh, that's going to be opposed work. He may attack you, your children, whatever he can get his hands on to oppose that work. But it's also a kingdom that doesn't make sense in terms of arguing or explaining to someone else because it's spiritual. You can't see it. And if you have the spirit, you can begin to see it. But if you don't, you can't. So it's not something that goes on by logical explanation. It is a spiritual battle. So this kingdom uh, is designed in such a way that we are in the middle of it. And we are in the middle of evil. And that's the way God designed it to work. And the, the last reason could be his grace to not wanting anyone to perish. So what God has done in the midst of this, among other things, is he has said to us, I'm going to do something. As you, the kingdom of light people, wander into the kingdom of darkness, I'm going to prepare people in the kingdom of darkness who are ready to turn. And he calls those, Jesus calls those people of peace. These are people that God has prepared to welcome us. Even though our message is offensive to the majority He's preparing people for us to talk to and they will recognize us because we are living out loud as Jesus people, as people of God. And those people, which the Bible calls people of peace, are being prepared. It's a little bit like the resistance in France during World War II where people could come uh, and become part of the resistance by connecting and knowing who the resistance people were. Well, these are people of peace who are ready to change. These are, these are the soils that are being prepared by God to be productive. But they're still part of the kingdom of darkness and they need to be connected and reached and brought into or activated. So he says it this way in the Gospel of Luke. He says, when you enter, he sent his 72 out, and now he's telling them about people of peace. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them. The kingdom of God has come near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. Let, be sure, let yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And there will be people of peace prepared. And when we meet them, they may be people we work with, they may be neighbors, uh, they may be someone we meet as we go out as families uh, for a Sunday afternoon walk. Um, It may happen this way. It may happen a million ways, but it may happen one way that we meet someone and uh, they're obviously not doing well. 
and we ask them if they would like prayer and, and then God comes and heals them. Heals them of a fever, heals them of a sore back, whatever it might be. Those people often become people of peace because they get a taste of the kingdom and then they open up. They want to know more. And we proclaim the kingdom of God and we watch. If they respond to us in the ways described here, peaceful, if they invite us to come to their home for lemonade or if they uh, want to know more, then you've found a person of peace. And stick by that person until you've been able to know them, love on them, um, Get in their home or, and, open the, and open the scriptures with them. If, especially, they will want, if they're true people of peace, they will want to know more about the kingdom. Others will be very friendly and have no interest. Others will have apparently no interest but be quite shy and actually be very interested to learn more. So all of these things uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about in the tool that we've given you today about people of peace. But I'm going to stop there and just say, one of the ways God has enabled us to navigate in an evil world is the preparation of people of peace all around us that are released by prayer, they're released by our living out loud, sharing the kingdom, bringing healing, bringing good news, bringing a personal testimony. That's what it looks like. A good example of this uh, people of peace in a very hostile culture is the Bopuri people in India. David Watson went to reach this group uh, in India uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. The first six people he found who were people of peace eventually studied the word and became believers and became missionaries to their own people. But as they began to share the kingdom with their own people, all six were killed. And then David... Uh, Watson was deported from India for missionary activity. Somehow, the Lord worked in his life for him to go back, get a, get another visa, to go back. They started again. Uh, and this time, the people of peace were more fruitful. They multiplied. They shared the word of God with others. And now, 20-plus uh, years later, uh, there are over 10 million baptisms of Bopuri people uh, in India, and they are all weeds that turned into wheat. They're, and they were all accessed through those first six people of peace um, and then more people of peace. God kept reassuring him that he was preparing people, just like the way he told Paul in Corinth, I've got lots of people in this city. Keep going. Keep sharing. I believe God is saying he has lots of people in the city of Cincinnati that he is preparing. So keep going. The second point is, uh, what do we do with this idea of delayed judgment? You know, sometimes we want that judgment to take place. Sometimes uh, we feel that. I know in church history, we have brought our own judgment through things like inquisitions and crusades and other ways where we have uh, attacked those who are not, who are evil, who are part of that. But Jesus doesn't want us doing that. He doesn't want us doing that. So 
with delayed judgment, what does he want? I, I believe he wants us to think long-term. I believe he wants us to think like him in terms of mercy, to be instruments of mercy. And he shows that in a number of different passages in the scriptures. But one that I wanted to share today is a super practical one. And it is uh, from 1 Corinthians 7. And it is the case where one person in a marriage uh, is in this kingdom and another person in the marriage is in another kingdom. And God's heart is expressed through this epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. He says, To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not enslaved in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You know, I'm really glad Jesus didn't come back in March or in February of 1996 because in late March of 96, I met Jesus. My eyes were awakened to the kingdom. And I moved from death to life. I moved from weeds to wheat in the sprinkling, in the twinkling of an eye. And in that moment, my wife had been following Jesus hard for three or four years. And I could see the fruit in her life. I could see the way she was changing. I could see the love of God transforming her. I could see her level of respect for me was growing month by month. And I could see the change. I could see the transformation. And I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but I knew I liked it. And I wanted more of it. Uh, and, and that lifestyle and that prayer for me that she herself did and all the women she had praying from her Bible study for me brought me into the kingdom. I am a, I am a living example of this scripture that God wants to move because he's gracious, because he is desiring that none should perish. And so... He doesn't want us to burn the heretic at the stake. He wants the heretic to have another chance to come into the kingdom. Uh, This is the grace of God. This is the mercy of God. And then finally, uh, how do we deal with this war that's going on between these two kingdoms? How How do we function in that world when we see evil and we are torn up with the news about abortions or the news about broken families or whatever it might be, how do we function in that? Well, we remember this parable, first of all. We remember that this is the way he designed it to be. And he has his reasons for that. I've only tried to name a few, but it would be crazy to try to understand everything he has in mind with the way it is right now, except to know that it's good for us that it's like this. It's good for us to be in the middle of this battle. And there are many things we can do um, in faith 
in worship, in confession, in all the things that we deal with as we run into this evil world. But I believe the one most important thing he wants us to do is he wants us to do warfare. And that happens mostly in prayer. And Paul lays it out. He says, look, this is, this is the way that we, that we will operate in the world of, of warfare. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following, Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. Read that all types of fallen spiritual beings uh, in the heavenlies uh, and, and all the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, here's how you do it. The first thing you do is you put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. All of those are defensive weapons and the word of God is also an offensive weapon. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So he's saying to us, the first thing in warfare is to understand that this is the way it is. There's these hidden kingdoms. There's these hidden beings all over the place that are authorities and powers. And they are the ones who have people enslaved. In other words, the enemy is not the person who's enslaved in a devil cult. Uh, the, the enemy is not the person who may be uh, struggling with alcohol or drugs or some other form of evil. They're not the real enemy. But we're battling kingdoms. God versus the devil and his minions. So he's saying the way around this is not by explaining it to somebody else. The way around it is by understanding it as a spiritual thing and to walk in that in the Spirit. He says, and it's mostly by prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So we want to uh, learn to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. We want to learn not to be flustered when something demonic manifests itself when evil manifests itself but we want to remember this parable and go oh yeah dad i know this is the way you set it up so we're supposed to be wise and walk in this and and then to be people of prayer when we visited casa hogar mama palita in mexico it was quite common when new children were brought in that those children we didn't know their story we didn't know their history uh, it would be quite common for them in the midst of their first night of worship with the whole house, with the whole community, to have demonic manifestations, shaking and uh, loud voices and saying evil things. And uh, that was quite common. 
We have had people in this church who have adopted people from China with unknown histories in the first few years who have come to the elders and we've prayed off demonic forces on that child. So these are extremely real powers. When you see a person with tarot cards, that person is dealing with real power. It's just coming from the wrong side. And so we have to be alert to this, aware of this, and be prepared to pray uh, in these ways. And that is uh, exactly what happens. When we pray, the name of Jesus is authoritative over all these demonic beings. And when we pray, these children are set free. Some of them are old enough to come to faith in Christ and bring, uh, bring the full protection of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Others are too young. And they come in at three and four years old under the protective prayer cover of the house, of the house parents, until they're old enough, but they are made off limits to the enemy by the power of a believing believer's prayer. And this is the, this is the way of the kingdom. And Jesus, obviously, as he tells this parable, is understanding that sooner or later Paul's going to come and give us Ephesians 6 and spell it out. But he's referring to the same thing. It's the evil powers that are allowed, that have freedom to operate uh, in the world right now. So, as we think about how to respond to this parable, there's lots of other applications. Um, But I want to give you uh, two tools to take away today to encourage you in application of this parable in your daily walk. And the, the, first, the first tool is how to find a person of peace. This is the larger handout that you received today. Uh, it's, as you can see, there's not a whole lot of print in here. You can go through this fairly quickly. I'm not going to go through it step by step. But it was written by a friend of ours, Phil Alessi, uh, who is... Uh, had tremendous success finding people of peace, even in prisons. Uh, And so I just encourage you to walk through that and ask yourself, by application, how do some of these principles work in my daily life with my coworkers? Uh, Who would be, who might be a person of peace? And then on the last page, uh, you have just some directions to look at the scripture that I went through in Luke chapter 10. Uh, to answer some questions about what Jesus wants you to do. There's some examples in the Bible of meeting a person of peace. And then there's some things for you to do. But I encourage you to go through that and say, all right, Lord, I, I get it. You have prepared people for me to know. And the way they're going to know, it's like a code. When they hear about God and Jesus and the kingdom, they're going to know... Uh, that you're a Jesus person and it's going to make sense what God's been doing and they're going to be interested in what you have to say. And again, it's very much like that time in the war with the resistance. Knock on the door. Peace be with you. If that peace returns to you, that person wants to know more than one secret agent of the kingdom has met a future secret agent of the kingdom behind enemy lines And there is a connection and they want to know more about God. Does that make sense? So that is is 
tool number one. And then tool number two is simply a daily prayer of warfare. What this prayer does is it combines about 40 different Bible verses. And uh, we're going to pray the last two paragraphs together, actually. This is a prayer that my wife, Marianne, and I began praying about 15 years ago. We would keep a copy in the bedroom. We would get out of bed in the morning, and she would pray a paragraph. I would pray a paragraph. We go back and forth. takes about eight minutes. Uh, but again, you're quoting 40 different Bible verses, so you're praying the Word of God. And this prayer will educate you on what, what the Father has done, what Jesus has done, what the Holy Spirit has done, and will bring you into that, that place. So let's... Um, that place of knowing how to do this and that your words and the power of Jesus have authority in the spiritual realm. So let's pray the last two paragraphs together. Heavenly Father, thank you for granting to me every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. I receive those blessings into my life today and I ask the Holy Spirit to bring all those blessings into my life this day. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Wash me once more with his blood from every sin and stain and evil device. I put on your armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation. I take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and I wield these weapons against the evil one in the power of God. I choose to pray at all times in the spirit to be strong in you, Lord, and in your might. Father, thank you for your angels. May they guard me at all times this day. Thank you for those who pray for me. I confess I need their prayers, and I ask you to send forth your spirit and rouse them, unite them, raising up the full canopy of prayer and intercession for me. I call forth the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ this day throughout my home, my family, my life, and my domain. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ with all glory and honor and thanks to him. Amen. So this is a warfare prayer and uh, it will disciple you in the art of spiritual warfare. So we're going to close this morning with a few minutes in God's presence in worship. The worship team is going to come up. We're going to have prayer teams on each side. As I thought about this this morning, it seemed uh, this week, uh, about this morning during this week, I realized that for some of us, this, this kingdom life, this idea of walking out the kingdom can be somewhat scary. Fear of being rejected, uh, fear of not saying the right thing, whatever it might be. So part of uh, our call on our prayer teams this morning is going to be to pray off fear. If you sense that a disproportionate part of your life is lived in fear, you can put an end to that today because fear is a demonic spirit that is attacking you and uh, trying to take you out of the kingdom that Jesus wants you to play a part in. And uh, I encourage you to come, if that's you, to pray off the spirit of fear and instead to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of us may simply be here this morning. It's a dry season and we need more of the Holy Spirit. And we just need brothers and sisters in Christ to lay hands on us and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, there, there may be some this morning 
who are here who have not made the decision to follow Christ, to pledge allegiance to Jesus and to walk with Jesus in all the power of the kingdom. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to be standing up front here this morning and anyone who wants to begin a a faith journey with Jesus, uh, then come down and I will pray with you. And finally, uh, Paul always warns us uh, to make sure that we're in the faith. And by that, I think he's cautioning us to examine ourselves. And there may be something the Lord's putting on your heart today that needs to get released back to him, that needs to be repented of. So in that case, come and uh, have confession and have prayer for forgiveness of sin. So however God is working in your heart right now, um, we're going to worship him and invite his presence and we're going to have ministry uh, in the spirit now. So Father, um, you are moving here this morning. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. And we ask now, Father, as we worship you, as we respond to your word, that you would release the ministry of the saints here now and uh, have your spirit have his way today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.